what I hope is now one of your favourite podcasts, On Your Terms with me, Fahima Adam. Today, before I get in and introduce you to my guest, I thought I might take a few moments to just think and reflect on where we are so far with the podcast and how it's all going. So if you've been listening so far to the first few episodes, you'll have heard me talking to very different guests. I've had Dave, who's a business coach, but also someone who I consider to be my own mentor. We've had Andrea, who is a interior designer, but someone who spoke a lot more widely about creating spaces that are good for the mind and the body. The next episode was with Riz, who is a business coach, someone who knows a lot about improvement, not only in business, but also the same stuff applying to your personal life. And he shared some great insights into that. And the most recent episode was with Kaylee King from Wildkind Photography, who is just an all round inspirational, great person with lots to share, not only on brand photography, but things in life. So I think what I'm trying to say here is that this podcast is very much about speaking to and learning from different people who are in my opinion, doing parts of what they're doing in a very inspirational way and in a way which has impacted on my life already or with some of the newer people who perhaps coming to the next few episodes I might not know so well, people who I think could help me to improve my life and help me to live it better on my own terms. Now, I do keep saying, you know, my life this and my life that, but actually for me it really is also about creating a space to share with you as the listener and hoping that these guests that I have on the podcast can help us all to really define what our terms are and then to live by them. So that's a little bit of reflection and background. Let's get on to today's podcast. Today, I have somebody on the podcast who has made, I would say, the biggest impact on my life in the last two years. Yeah, I can actually definitely say that. So my guest is Phil McBride, who is my personal trainer. Phil is my personal trainer, but he's also a strength and conditioning specialist, health and exercise researcher and writer. He has presented his research and delivered seminars on exercise in various countries across the world and is passionate about bridging the gap between research and practice in health and exercise. So, without further ado, let's get into the podcast. Hi, Phil. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Fahima. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I do well. Great. Okay. So, Phil, let's start right from the beginning. You are a PT and a researcher, but you've not done both of this, these things your whole life. Can you tell us a bit about your journey? Yeah, of course. So all through my teens, I was determined that I was going to be a rock star. Wow. And so I spent all of my time just focusing on the guitar, which is my main instrument. By the time I left school, I'd got a little bit more realistic goal than touring the world. Aww. So I decided that I was going to become a session musician. Oh, cool. So I moved to London and started studying and working as a professional musician. It was great fun. 
it was great fun, but it's one of those things that is actually a lot more demanding than the stereotype sort of seems. You know, I think most people would think that the life of a musician is quite easy, but yeah. it's actually quite demanding. You know, you, you've got quite long days in terms of practicing music and going from studio to studio and then from gig to gig in the evening. So after a few years, it sort of stopped being fun for me. Okay. Because of the kind of work side of it, like the how draining it was. Yeah, it was just turning this thing that I loved into work, which I didn't yeah. want it to be. You know, that was the point that I didn't want it to be so demanding on me. Yeah. So I sort of packed it all up and left it behind and took some time to think about what I actually wanted to do. And I spent a while doing various different things. Yeah. And then eventually sort of thought to myself, like the things that I'm mainly passionate about are music and fitness. Oh, okay. So at that point, I spoke to my boxing coach at the time about starting to work as a coach. And he, he brought me in and sort of mm-hmm. started on that path. And right from day one, I just fell in love with it. I absolutely loved getting people fitter or getting people ready for fighting or whatever we were doing. And since then, I've just been trying to expand my knowledge as much as I can in terms of taking extra courses and learning from other coaches. Yeah. And I don't work in the boxing gym anymore, obviously, you know, and I I quite quickly set myself out to try and go on my own journey as a coach. And one of the things that I noticed in the first sort of few years of coaching was just, I wasn't happy with how much of a gap there was between research and practice in the exercise sector right so i wanted to try and bridge that and i did that by getting myself more involved in academia so i went on and did my undergraduate and master's degrees and then i've just finished a phd in physical science now so that's my main focus is trying to bridge that gap between people who are coaching on the ground and people who are doing the research yeah that doesn't sound like a very conventional path no No. and also i don't think most people that do personal training and fitness or coaching also do the academic side of things the research into like health exercise and anatomy and all of that stuff so Mm -hmm. is it common or is it not is it just an assumption that it's not no i mean i'm you know i'm far from the only person that has fingers in both pies you know like there are absolutely other coaches but it is rare most people are, if they're a personal trainer, then they're just a personal trainer. And they might, you know, be familiar with some of the academia, but not actually on the ground doing it. And then the same thing applies to the other side. A lot of the academics who are involved in actually doing the research, some of them have never ever coached someone in their life. Okay. You know, they've only ever done the research. So I'm not just having a go at coaches who don't know about the academics as well. You know, a lot of them don't understand what it's actually like to run a session. Right. And it just sort of limits how capable people are of running good sessions or designing good research when you don't actually know what's possible on the other side. Yeah. Okay. So I started to work with you as my PT about nearly two years ago now, not quite, but nearly two years ago. And in making my decision who I went with as my PT, there was, you know, a few different options, but most of the other people had only personal training qualifications, whereas you clearly had this other side of you with the academic qualifications. And I'm very much someone who likes to work on things that have evidence behind them. And this is why I picked you. So do you find that other people come to you because of that? Or what's your experience so far since you've been doing both? 
Yeah, lots of people who come to me, when I ask them about it, they do say that that has an impact, you know, so any aspiring personal trainers, I would say to them that it is absolutely going to be beneficial to get those higher qualifications, even if your only thing that you want to do is coach fitness. But often as well, people come to me because of the sort of speciality that I have. So I've trained people in various backgrounds, you know, amateur and professional athletes and recreational exercises. A lot of the people who I train and a lot of my qualifications are largely based around training people for clinical reasons. So trying to improve various conditions through exercise. And that can vary, you know, sometimes it's spinal troubles like low back pain or spinosis. Sometimes it's diabetes. Sometimes it's the more common obesity and high blood pressure. But it's trying to address these issues as much as you can through exercise as opposed to through medications. So, Phil, are you currently still taking on more clients for the PT side of things? Yeah. So I still keep a, a client base. I am primarily a researcher. So my full-time nine-to-five job is in research. Yeah. Currently, I'm in Exeter, and that's looking at a, basically a virtual reality system to try and advance stroke rehabilitation. So it'll give people who've recently had a stroke a system that they can use in their own home that'll turn their rehab exercises into games. Oh, wow. But alongside that, I maintain a client base of people who I train and I think I'll always do that because A, it's something that I really enjoy. Yeah. B, as I've said, I think it's important to make sure that you're still aware of the other side of the coin when you're working in sport and exercise and indeed in any sector, you know. Yeah. Just making me think back to the start of our conversation when you said about, you know, being a musician, being quite draining, kind of, you know, hard work that's kind of draining. I'm not sure what you're doing now is any less tiring because you're doing a full-time job as a researcher plus all of this personal training. And I'm pretty sure you probably train yourself as well. So Perhaps it's not less draining. Perhaps I've just become hardened to it and a bit haggard. <laughs> so do you still do more of your music? Do you, do you get to do that or not so much? Yeah, yeah, I do. Obviously not as much as when it was my job, yeah. but I still play regularly in the house. When I can, I'll meet up with friends and we'll play together. Oh, great. It just, yeah. So it's a hobby now more than a job. Yeah, that's it. I can actually enjoy myself doing it now. And it's it's one of those, you know, when it's your job, you have to play whatever you're paid to play, whereas now I play whatever I want. So like I said, I've been working with you for a couple of years. And at the very start, I think we'll talk about goals in a bit. But before we do that... Let's talk about body recomposition. Now, I didn't know what this was before I started working with you, but it's something that we've been doing with me. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what is body recomposition and is it the right strategy for everyone or is it specific to certain types of people or anything like that? Yeah, so oftentimes when people think about their sort of weight loss or weight gain goals in fitness, people think about these terms like bulking and cutting. Yes, which are largely just gaining or losing weight. The terms themselves really come from like bodybuilders. Typically in build up to competition, they'll have a bulking phase where they're just putting on as much weight as possible. And then you have a cutting phase where you reduce your body fat percentage to try and show off all your muscles. That's not what the normal general population are trying to do though, is it? No, it's not. Which (laughs) is why this strategy really isn't the most ideal thing for most people. Yeah. Body recomposition is where you sort of try to do those two things at the same time. Like you're literally trying to alter the composition of your body. So 
obviously your body is made up of lots of different things, but if we split it into just fat mass and non-fat mass, yeah, what we're trying to do is decrease the fat mass and increase the non-fat mass. So like your muscles and your bones. Okay. It's often a little bit of a slower process than normal bulking and cutting. Because if you think about, let's take a bulk, you just eat loads of calories, go to the gym and lift weights, and you're going to put on weight quite quickly. But not all of that weight is going to be muscle. Some of it's going to be fat. Right. And if you're doing it for a purpose, you know, you're a bodybuilder or a competitive athlete of some kind, then it's okay. You can deal with that and adjust yeah. for it later. But for the general population, what you want is a slower process where you're gradually reducing your fat and increasing your muscle and bone content, right. which is what body recomposition is. In terms of whether it works for everyone, it really depends on the goals and that specific individual. Yeah. By and large, I would say yes, for people who are of sort of average type weight, mm -hmm. who just want to train for health and, you know, look a bit better in the mirror and things like that. Yeah. Body composition is the way to go because you want to think about your training journey over the long term, as opposed to just a very quick fix. Yes. Do you find it's hard to get people to go on to body recomp because it is a bit slower? Yes. Okay. So because a lot of people will come to you with this sort of, I'm going to Greece in six weeks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I need to be looking great in this bikini. Yeah. They don't want to hear me then say, oh, yeah, well, we can get you to where you want, but instead of six weeks, let's think about six months. Or longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't want to hear that. Yeah. So it is sometimes difficult to get people on board. And I'm sure you can attest to that, that at first, you know, you weren't as keen on it as you perhaps are now. That's right. It's also sometimes it's difficult to get your head around the scale weight. So if you weigh yourself and you might say you weigh, I don't know, 60 kg, and then you're working out your training and then you're still 60 kg a week later, you think, oh, it's the same. And you don't really want it to stay. So you want it to be dropping. And if you've been used to doing the normal types of dieting that are on the market normally, you're used to seeing that week on week, you might be losing two pounds or even four pounds or whatever. And doing body recomp, you just have the same number for quite a while. And then it might drop a little bit. And then you have the same number again. But what I'd say from my own experiences that when I started to not think about that too much, but actually look at how my clothes fit, Mm -hmm. that made a big difference because I was like, actually, even though the number of the scale is not changing drastically, A, how my clothes fit and B, how I feel are completely mm -hmm. different. And when you start to accept that that's what it is, that's when it's okay to carry on with it. Whereas I think initially there is that kind of, oh, why are we doing this? Can't we just, yeah. you know, drop a ton of weight? But when you're dropping a ton of weight, you're probably dropping muscle and fat rather than gaining muscle and dropping fat. Yeah, you absolutely are. And, it, and that goes the same the both ways, you know, whether you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to gain weight. If you just cut the calories and spend hours and hours on the treadmill every day, yeah. you will lose fat. You'll absolutely lose fat, but you'll lose a lot of muscle tone as well, yeah. which is, is not what you want. And in terms of, you know, most people's aesthetics, that's not what they want. And in terms of health, that's not what you want. Yeah. Which sort of leads on as well to the, the people that it wouldn't work for. So sort of exceptions to the body recomposition rule would be people at very far ends of the uh, scale. You know, if you think about people's weights on a, a bell curve, the people yes. at the ends of the bell who are okay. quite severely overweight or quite severely underweight, 
Right. Those people, not so good for because if you're very underweight, then you need to focus just on gaining weight until you're back up to a healthy weight. And then at that point, you can start to think about body recomposition. And the same thing for if you're severely overweight and need to lose weight, then you need to bring it back down to a healthier weight before you can start thinking about body recomposition. That makes sense now that you mention it, yeah. Because I didn't really know who it would work for or not, but actually now that you sort of say the two extreme ends, Mm. it probably wouldn't work for, but it would later on when they're further along their journey. Absolutely. Okay. So next up, let's talk about goals, Phil. Mm -hmm. When it comes to training, you know, people tend to have goals, whether they voice them or not. So my goals, when I first started with you, was initially it was I had some like hip pain on my left hip, a little bit of lower back pain. I want to say I had trouble getting in and out of the car, but because <laughs> that makes me sound like it was like I was in a really bad state. But no, I mean, I just, you know, I could feel it twinge every time I got in and out of my quite low car. So that was the initial goal, like get rid of that, rehab that, whatever we can do. And like two years on now, you've heard me say it before, my goal is to literally become Spider-Man. So that's changed across time. And I know how that might sound quite funny and silly. So I wanted to ask you, do clients often have very strange or overinflated goals? And how do you tend to manage client expectations around their goals? Tell us a bit about that stuff. Yeah, I think the majority of people who are training for the first time, whether it's with a personal trainer or not, tend to have quite unrealistic expectations of what they want. And, you know, that that varies depending on the person to person. You know, sometimes you can get a chap in their 50s who's 10 stone overweight can come to you with a picture of Chris Hemsworth and say, I want to be like this by the end of summer. <laughs> yeah. And it's difficult to explain to them sometimes that it's it's not a realistic goal at this point. Yes. So what can be difficult is is working with people to work out what's appropriate goal for them and appropriate in terms of what they actually want at the end and what the timeline is going to look like. Yeah. But then it's also what I find very interesting, which you're a perfect example of, is how goals will evolve over somebody's training life. Like you said, you know, your goals now are nothing like they were when you first came to me. Yeah. And it's highly likely that in two more years, you'll have different goals from what you do now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I'm going to go from Spider-Man. So. <laughs> Where, where can I go from there? But yeah, we'll see. <laughs> you know, as well as being interesting, it's very rewarding to see yeah. you changing your goals from just, I need to feel better, you know, that you, yeah. you, you didn't feel as good as you wanted to feel and you wanted to feel better to now, yeah, you know, oh, Phil, I want to do a handstand. Yeah. I want to do pull-ups. You know, it's much more rewarding to see you've come so far. And it's a testament to you more than it is to me, you know, but it's great for me to see people's goals evolve. I wouldn't really agree with you to say that it's a testament to me more than you, because I think as much as we're talking about, like, you know, I asked you about how do you manage expectations? Mm. And then you said it's a bit about time frame and saying, oh, well, you know, maybe not in six months. I think one of the things you do quite well is, especially in person, when somebody voices a goal, you don't necessarily say no, but then you kind of have a bit of a silence and you get on with things. And then you've kind of not said it's not possible we've also not said it's possible and then you kind of get us on the journey anyway and the thing is like even if the thing i wanted wasn't going to happen in six months it's happened by two years just because we've stayed on the same consistent path and i think that's what you're very good at doing is getting people to become consistent 
So I had no idea I'd become very consistent, but I think it's the methods that you use. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to divulge all your secrets, but <laughs> you've definitely got some methods there in the background that kind of get people to become more consistent and like actually get them to the goals. It doesn't matter if it doesn't happen in six months. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, consistency is the key and it is difficult with some people to get them to stick on the path that you need them to stay on because, you know, you can know as much as you want to know about fitness and anatomy and physiology and how to train people to do that. If the person that you're training doesn't want to do it, how do you get them to do it? You know, there's, there's no sense in quoting whatever journal articles or studies that you want, you know, it's, yeah. that's not going to help people reach their goals. You need to work out how yeah. to communicate well with that person and get them on a consistent path. That's another part. So when it comes to programming for your clients, mm. when you get the feedback from the clients, when, you know, they've started training in that program, there's things they don't like, things they do like, how do you tend to manage and handle that sort of thing? And how, what would you advise other personal trainers to do in that sort of situation where people don't like something? What's your advice? I think the first thing you need to do is just, if it's things that they don't like, for example, explore why they don't like it. Right. Because sometimes, you know, you'll come to me with, oh, Phil, I don't like this exercise. But it's just because it's hard and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And you, maybe you're embarrassed about doing it. Yes, that's the other reason. Because <laughs> it's an embarrassing exercise, yeah. But some exercises do look a bit silly. In those situations, it's all about the rapport that you have with your client. So like, yeah. you know, once you've built up a bit of a relationship with them, you can tell them to get just... Get on with it. <laughs> get on with it. Yeah. Um, but when you're a little bit earlier on, you do need to work with them a little bit more to think about more alternatives that you can offer to exercises, you know? Yes. Because there's no exercise that can't be replaced with another exercise. Okay. You know, some exercises are better for certain things, but there's always an alternative. So just work with the client and work out something that's going to work for them in terms of reaching their goals and that they're going to enjoy a little bit more than what you've programmed. Oh, that's interesting because that really sounds like you kind of also need to get to know the client a bit and how their brain works a little bit. Everyone's going to be a bit different with that. So each client will be a bit different. Yeah, I think so. I think the, the thing I see the most in sort of new personal trainers is that they forget about the personal side yeah. of it. <laughs> you know, it, the word personal is in there, isn't it? I didn't think of that until you just said it like that. It is right there in the name. You know, yeah. you need to tailoring everything that you're offering to this person to this person yeah so if you know for example deadlifts are a very very common exercise yeah and they're very very good for you they have loads and loads of health benefits in terms of your musculoskeletal system but some people just don't want to do deadlifts some people's bodies aren't very well built for deadlifts you know from uh. a mechanical standpoint if, if you've got long thighs for example so these are the sorts of things that you need to take into account when you're thinking of programming for different individuals. And often I think it gets a little bit forgotten. Okay. Interesting. Right. So we've gone through goals a little bit and we've been talking about clients and different sorts of clients. Now, being a client myself, I know that in a lot of normal contexts, when you go and like meet people for things, you could just be yourself. But sometimes when you're training, you're under a lot of strain or even pain, and you might say things <laughs> that you wouldn't normally say in another context would be slightly less polite than you might otherwise be. Do you have a lot of um, interesting and amusing client stories? Is that something that's common? Well, I mean, yeah, in terms of being less polite, there's <laughs> lots of people who are very unpolite to me when I've started to suggest burpees and things like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, because people are 
sort of putting their bodies under a lot of stress yeah. when they're in a treatment session, it can often sort of lead to their minds being put under a lot of stress and other things that are going on in their life might come up. Right. Sometimes your, your life as a, a personal trainer can turn into, you know, a therapy session yeah. because people have, because they've been putting their body through this stressful thing, their mind starts to wander and go on to these other stressful things that are going on in their lives. Yeah. You know, often you see these people quite regularly, you know, some of my clients I've been seeing for eight years and at the most I've been meeting them five days a week, you know, so yeah. you get to know these people very, very well. Yeah. And it's quite an honor, you know, really that people feel so comfortable to share these. Yeah. With and, you know, often they just become friends more than anything else. Oh, that's brilliant. No wonder why you enjoy it so much. And even though you're doing a full-time job as a researcher, mm -hmm. you still want to keep taking on clients to do as well. Because yeah. it's it's more than just, here's what we're going to do, you know, do this many burpees, do that many like bench press or whatever. It's, like you said, the personal side of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Phil, you make a lot of recommendations. You give a lot of advice to people about what they should and should not be doing. What mm -hmm. Out of all of those bits of advice, do you find most challenging to apply to your own life? I think developing good sleep patterns. Yeah. I'm sure you can attest to this, that I tell yeah. all of my clients that they will get so much benefit from developing good sleep patterns. And that'll vary from individual to individual. You know, different people need different amounts of sleep at different times yeah. of the evening. But for me, in terms of the advice that I give that I find the most difficult to stick to, that is the hardest. And, you know, my reasons for it being difficult will be the same as everyone else's. It's just because I'm busy and there are things that I want to do. Yeah. So There's only so many hours in the day. Sometimes <laughs> life gets in the way and you can't necessarily be in bed from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. every day. Yeah. You know, sometimes you need to go to bed later. Sometimes you need to get up earlier. And I know that if I were to sort out my sleep patterns into a really consistent time frame, that I'd feel better for it. But it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So if it doesn't happen, mm. then what is less good for it? Is it that your training's less good? Is it that you just think that everything is less optimized because of it? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. You'd be hard pushed to find an aspect of your health that wouldn't be improved by better sleep. Right. Yeah. Sort of sleep and exercise, in my view, are the two things that you have control over that can have the biggest impact on your long-term health and fitness yeah you know if in terms of exercise if you could package all the benefits of exercise into a pill <laughs> go wild for it and the same thing with sleep you know if you could package all the benefits that you get from a consistent good night's sleep yeah into a pill, people would be fighting each other for it yeah absolutely absolutely so that leads us nicely on to um my next question which is when somebody's looking to get started in training what sort of tips or advice do you have to motivate people to do it, to get into training, to encourage them to start, just get started? How would you go about that? In terms of the, the benefits of getting started, I think a lot of the time when people aren't exercising, they get caught up in this thought process of how much they need to be doing. Yeah. You know, like there are national guidelines for physical activity, which are 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity or 75 minutes of vigorous activity. And those are great guidelines, but they are often a little bit daunting to people yeah. who are currently doing nothing. 
So the, the key message to sort of take away from anything that I've said would be that anything is better than nothing. Yeah. You know, if yesterday you did nothing but sit on the sofa and today you went out for a five minute walk, that's better than yesterday. Yeah. And you can just gradually add on to that, whatever the activity is, you know, just gradually increase it over time. You don't have to jump straight in to running 5Ks, you know. Yeah. You can just dip your toe in the water and then gradually build up. And also I think it's important for people to not get too caught up in these sort of common avenues of exercise. You know, and I'm perhaps robbing myself of a job here, but (laughs) you've got more options than going to the gym and seeing a personal trainer. Yes. You know, there are clients who I've said in the past, I don't think that you should really work with me because you're not enjoying it. You know, because I think the key to long-term health and fitness in terms of your training program is finding something that you enjoy. Yeah. Some people are are fortunate in that they enjoy going to the gym or they enjoy going for running. But I firmly believe that everybody has something that they enjoy. So you just need to experiment with it a little bit and think about what might you enjoy. So try swimming, try dance classes, try combat classes. Try different sports, try individual sports, group sports, you know, yeah, all yeah. kinds of things. And even going right down to just going for a walk, yeah. all of these things can contribute to your training and developing your health and fitness. So, yeah, don't be restricted by thinking that you need to do a certain amount of time. Just increase it gradually and don't be restricted to thinking that you need to do one specific type of activity. There are lots of different types of activity you can do. Brilliant. I like that because I think sometimes I know I can be become, but I think a lot of people probably can become all or nothing. It's like mm-hmm. I'm either somebody who goes to the gym, you know, five times a week, or I then oh I'm not doing anything. So yeah. it's really encouraging to know that you know you can pick something that you like, and even whatever you do pick, you can build it up gradually because you know, if you're doing nothing, doing some will make a difference, and then doing some more will make more of a difference, and yeah. that's how you can start to enjoy it more as well, I suppose. Absolutely. And you get the biggest benefits to your sort of overall health will come from doing nothing to doing something. Yes. The early gains that you get. (laughs) Yeah. People are often quite familiar with these early gains when they start training, but it's true. You know, you will always see the biggest amount of progress moving from nothing to something. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess for you as a trainer, it gets more difficult the further someone gets along their journey to a keep it interesting for them if that's if the gym is what they've chosen but also make it still work for them as well yeah of course particularly with weight training because oftentimes with weight training because it's so easy to measure weight training people are very very aware when they've got plateaus yes so you know and if you've got a young lad who's stuck on 100 kilograms for his bench press say and he might be stuck there for months And it's going to be so frustrating for him. And that's at the point that you need to start experimenting with new techniques and new modalities of exercise. Because really plateaus are just your body has adjusted as much as it can to that training stimulus. Because your body's quite lazy. It wants to make things as easy as as it possibly can. So it's not going to build what it doesn't need to build. So you need to force it to do something else. Right. Brilliant. Wow. I think we've covered quite a lot there. I was thinking, let's finish up with a quick fire round of questions. It's a this or that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. 
Nike or Adidas? Nike. Toast or cereal? Toast. Chicken or steak? Steak. Mondays or Fridays? Friday. Crossfit or CrossFit? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hypertrophy. Hypertrophy or hypertrophy? <laughs> hypertrophy. Knew it. Okay, great. Well, Bill, it's been really interesting. You know that I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. You're probably a bit worried that I probably will because <laughs> whenever I speak to you, I just have a million questions for you and I really could. Um, but... I, I love people asking me questions. Like those, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I love the most is just sharing what I've learned about health and exercise with other people. Oh, brilliant. No, I mean, it definitely comes across. So like I said, I could end up talking to you till the end of the day, but we have a certain amount of time today and I think we've covered lots of really good things and I hope that our listeners will enjoy it. I'm sure they will. So Phil, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Fahima. Well, there you go. Phil is a super knowledgeable person with his unique experience of both academia and research and personal training and this is why I have Phil as my personal trainer. Phil currently doesn't live anywhere near me, in fact I think he lives across the other side of the country so we work remotely and you can also work remotely with Phil if you'd like to be one of his clients too. There are several different ways of doing this and he's happy to discuss these with you if you get in touch. Phil is not really on a lot of social media but you can get in touch with him via LinkedIn. He is Philip McBride on LinkedIn and you can find him there if you'd like to get in touch to see about working with him. I get Phil to write training programs for me. I then go ahead to my own local gym and do my training but we have a lot of contact with feedback and critique and all that kind of stuff too so I'm sure Phil can talk to you about those sorts of options if you're interested to work with him too. Phil has also written a book. If you're a personal trainer and you want to know how to make your personal training business successful, he's written a book all about that too. So I will post a link to the book on Amazon on the show notes. Again, thank you for listening to today's podcast. I hope you're really enjoying the series. Always, always open to feedback. So please do send me some if you have anything to say. And in the meantime, please share the podcast with friends and family, anyone that you think would enjoy it. It's basically a podcast full of hopefully inspirational conversations, ones that can help us to all live our lives on our own terms. So please share the podcast. Please click follow on Spotify or subscribe on whatever channel you listen on. And I look forward to catching you on the next one. If you have been, thank you for listening.